Hello, everybody, and welcome to our epic X-Men reread here on Crushing Comics. I am joined by Tyler and Freeha, and we are in the middle of reading Claremont's X-Men from the very start. And today we are going to be reading Uncanny X-Men 118 and 119, as well as some revisions to those issues in classic X-Men. Just a quick word of warning, we do sometimes talk about future X-Men plots as part of this discussion, so you might become a little bit spoiled, but there is nothing about these two issues that I think is going to cause us to talk about things as recent as House of X and Powers of X, so in that regard, you should be safe in this episode. Before we all get started, you know, last episode we were talking a little bit about other stuff we were doing nerd-wise in recent times. I was also thinking about, like, nerd stuff that I did before I had comics as my main form of nerddom as a kid. The story mm -hmm. I always tell is I was really into G.I. Joes as a kid, and each G.I. Joe came with a file card on the back, mm -hmm. and they were actually all written by Larry Hama, which is a great detail because he was like piloting their whole universe in addition to writing the comic book. But you would have to cut each one of them out from the back of every package, so like you wouldn't want to rip the package. Like You had to op open them carefully so you would get the mm -hmm. file card. And I had a recipe box with all the file cards, and if I was bored as like a eight-year-old, I would just pour out all the file cards on the floor just so I could like alphabetize them or have them be like Cobra versus G.I. Joe's or like do them by like what section of the service they're in or whatever. Like that was my my boredom pastime. Then you can see why I was really into having floppy comics and being able to like put them all in long boxes and put them in bags and boards and stuff. But does somebody else have like a, a young young geek story from their, their pre-comic book origins? For ya? Um, so... I was obsessed with um, MacGyver. <laughs> like the TV show at the time. The, the original TV. MacGyver. Original MacGyver. So, and as a kid, and I think I was under seven or something like that, like, you know, I was sure that I'm going to marry him. MacGyver, <laughs> not the actor. And No, actual MacGyver. No, actual MacGyver. And... I remember going in like a whole, like, you know, my mom still tells the story. I don't remember it, but because my mom keeps on saying it, I think I remember it because apparently there was like a whole shouting match with my cousin who tried to tell me that is a fictional character and then <laughs> it's not. So I actually had newspaper clipping or posters of everything to do with MacGyver most of the time, it was just a picture of MacGyver and saying that this episode will be airing this day. <laughs> so you're like taking clippings from t TV Guide, the equivalent of TV Guide, and being like, this exactly. is my man, MacGyver. Exactly. So um, recently, I actually saw him. He was in an ad, like he's doing an ad for something. And then, you know, all those, all those love came back. I was like, oh, it was like a, a really fond memory and stuff like and honestly, it's a, it's such a shame that I don't actually have those clippings or any of those anymore. I mean, I moved so much cross continent and stuff. It's just all gone. But part of me really hoped that I still kept them because that would have been a really cool memory. Wow. Definitely. That is so funny. <laughs> Do you think it was just because he was so inventive? Like it appealed to your yeah. like tiny engineer brain at the time? Possibly because I was also into A-Team. 
you know, oh. the original A-Team. I was really into them as well. Um, I don't think I was into the Magnum PI or any of that, but I was really into A-Team. And, and so apparently I used to have, uh, my mom had all a lot lot of like chains and stuff and I used to wear them all and to walk around Mr. like T. Mr. T. Yeah, <laughs> walk around like Mr. T. And I was like really trying, uh, like trying to convince my mom to get, allow me to have the Mohawk, which oh never passed, God. but... Yeah, so the thing is, like, um, it was MacGyver, and then it moved on to A-Team. Um, so, yeah, it just kind of worked well, that maybe way. maybe this is why you love Sunspot so much, because Sunspot is canonically in love with Magnum P.I. P.I. Not the actor, but the character. Oh! I, yeah, it's like a okay, big ongoing whoa. joke in Claremont that he's obsessed with Magnum P.I. Okay, he so now like the, we're going... the paragon of virtue. See, I said no spoilers <laughs> for current X-Men comics, but here's a big no, but, Newton spoiler. No, but the, that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's like all, like, it's a therapy session now. Now I'm seeing, like, connecting my past with my present and everything. Whoa, this blew my mind. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> Tyler, do you have anything that can match being in love with MacGyver? I don't know. Not really. I think <laughs> I think I'll be. I think my story will be so boring because it will be. It, it, it is like what this again, and this is a strange thing. When I started reading comics, I started reading my uncle's collection, and at that time, I was reading a lot and a and I, I mean a lot for me um, of um, fantasy novels. And one of the one that I really remember reading, or, well, I remember it clearly because it is the very first one that I've read, and that is um, Dragonlance. And it is also at that time that I started playing D&D. So <laughs> it's kind of like, oh, wait, I have not grown at all. <laughs> it's like the current me is the same as that me, like, you know, 30 years ago. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so it's funny you say that to bring it back together and then we'll move on to the X-Men issue. So the I didn't know where to get my hair cut when I first got to New Zealand. Now, of course, I'm just not. But I found a barber that seemed cool. And I went and I sat in his chair and we were talking. He had a kid around my kid's age. And I looked up and all around the like top molding above his mirror were all these classic G.I. Joes. And he was like, oh, yeah, I used to really love them. So I made it my mission as an adult to like rebuy all of them, you know, one wave at a time. And in my brain, I was like, I could do that. I could have it. I was like, no, Peter, stop. <laughs> you already have comic books. You don't need to. And, and the, bla you know, prodigious blazer collection. You do not need to also collect G.I. Joes. But it was just funny how like in my head, I so easily went to like yes we could finally have all of the wave one gi joe yeah all right but but your gi joe story makes so much sense now because you were like the guys the gi joe is in the next level i'm like why peter likes gi joe like it's in such a different <laughs> no, but thing that's the thing you? the last year's run of gi joe is is something you can love even not caring at all about gi joes like if anything i've avoided reading gi joe comments because whenever i do i'm like this is just trying to like adultify this thing that i loved as a kid when i just think mm -hmm. it can be a kid version but this one the past year has actually just been such a different version of it that it mm. that I don't have that reaction because I started reading the like 2008 IDW GI Joes and it was just cruel to the characters and I was like I don't want to see these characters like killed viciously mm. which even though the one last year kind of did it just didn't have the same feeling to me I don't know so that, that's a conversation okay. for a different time 
Now, let's dig into these two X-Men issues. This is an arc, it goes together, so you might find that we talk about some things from one issue into the next. Uncanny yeah. X-Men 118 and 119, the X-Men arrive on this ship with its Japanese crew to find that Japan is under siege. There's earthquakes, there's a firestorm, and they're trying to figure out what's happening. And it turns out, we learn over the course of these issues, that Jap Japan's being held hostage. Uh, by Moses Magnum, who's this minor villain that's been in a, a couple of other series. But a lot of other things happen here, happen. which makes these issues interesting, other than just being this somewhat throwaway arc of them fighting Moses Magnum. So let's always, as we do, start with Faria. This was your first time reading these two issues. Did anything really stick out for you as something to love in Uncanny X-Men 118 and 119? The first thing I want to say, though, I've been to Tokyo. You cannot see Mount Fuji from Tokyo. <laughs> yes, I know. What you so mean. I don't, I don't know whether this is supposed to be Tokyo or this is supposed to be another city. But you know, Tokyo kind of looks like that. So I was like, okay, come on, guys, we don't have to put Mount Fuji to say that it's Jap Japan. You already said it's Japan. Um, <laughs> So, so yeah, I think like in a weird kind of, I, I'm, I'm kind of beginning to feel like nobody wants to let uh, anyone else know that they're still around and they're just going to jet set around the world. And this is X-Men International Tour. Um, so we're kind of in between middle of that. I loved a couple of um, bitch slap that Cyclops got, one from Storm and one from Wolverine. Um, and then also like, you know, Wolverine getting cozy with his, um, with the, uh, with Mariko over here. Um, so yeah, so there's like a lot more we're finding out about Wolverine that we talked about before that, you know, he's becoming a more like, you know, a, a character with more history or things that he doesn't necessarily talk about, but we're finding about more about that. Um, and yeah, in around all of that, um, I think for the first time, um, X-Men is kind of in the middle of an international situation, which, you know, we haven't seen them before. Um, but you know, that's something obviously as uh, X-Men history grows, um, it will become a thing. So um, so there was a lot of that. And I think it was kind of like a fairly similar contrast with the space issue, but this time in Earth and in Japan. So, you know. Well, and I'm glad that Sunfire is not the main, like, you know, in the main roster. Like, yeah, but, but he's back. He quits so I many know. times and he's back. <laughs> I know he's back, but I'm like, I'm glad. I'm like, there's a reason why you're not in the main roster. Yeah, he's just um, another I, flying person. He's attitudinal like Wolverine. He has yeah, no, he exactly. has no rule place. Yeah, Tyler, exactly. what about you? What sticks out to you when you reread these issues? Oh, uh, I, I remember a couple of uh, episodes before we were talking about um, Peter the Salvage Land issue. I think Peter was talking about this splash page, which looks like a pinup, and he's he's like he 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 loves that page, and I I said something like you know. Um, my favorite one is not that one, and it comes like a couple of issues later, and it actually happens in this issue. It is the Ooh. whole Japan is burning thing. Oh, it's a beautiful and, page. Yeah, I love that page, and I also love the fact that only Nightcrawler is in costume. The rest <laughs> of them are like in this green jumpers and stuff like that. And Wolverine, of course, you know he's like he has to show off his hairy arms and stuff like that. Um, but I th I thought it was. I mean, I don't know why, but this page always stuck out in my mind, and I always remember this page. Um, I think it could be because when I first started reading X-Men, they don't happen in Asia often. 
So this is only one of the few times that it happens in Asia. And I mean, of course, is it, when it happens in Asia, it's always Japan uh, or, you know, later on Madripoor. But um, and I think there was one issue where there's one character from Singapore, but they didn't draw Singapore properly. So, yeah, but that, that happens a, so a, a, that, quite actually. far later. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, that's the thing. And um, yeah, I mean, I really enjoy um, part of the stories, but not so much the plot of the story, but more like the, the character's development in, you know, in, in these two issues. And I also want to say that too, like you're saying that how much you love the splash page. As soon as I see it, because of the coloring, I can instantly say that something is not right. You know, that something is going down. I don't need to read any of the thing, any of the bubbles. I can just by, by it being red, I can be like, yeah, oh my God, something is not right. Nowadays, they would have probably colored it blue and then with some smoke. Your also like, would be like gray yeah. clouds and they're like, oh, there's yeah. smoke. Whereas this is just so much more fantastical. I, you know, anytime there's pink, I'm into it. I don't care if it's canonical that <laughs> Colossus would be pink when they heat them up or the clouds would be pink if there's fire. If there's pink on the comment page, I'm into it. So uh, they, the port city they're arriving in technically is Agarashima, which does not seem to be a real world place based on some uh, some tentative Googling here. It seems to be an X-Men Invention, so it's not quite Tokyo, uh, although it uh, clearly is meant to maybe evoke Tokyo. It's just one of these invented Marvel comic book places, I think. Uh, and so they arrive, and they find, you know, again, much like the Savage Land, interesting theme here that connects them that they're arriving to ecological disasters caused by bad actors, right? And that it's almost mm -hmm. establishing the X Men aren't just here to beat up villains; they're here to care about the kind of ecological happenings in a world. Like, they were going to leave the Savage Land in that last arc, right? They, they're um, like, oh, there's an evil god, Garak, and the X-Men are like, peace out, y'all. But then, when it's blizzarding, they're like, okay, I guess we're going to have to fix something. And similarly yeah. here, they're just like, look, we just want to phone home. And then it's like, oh, no, there's earthquakes that are unnatural and firestorms. And the X-Men are like, hmm, we have to get involved. Now, Claremont yeah. doesn't stay on this theme really long, but I do think it's an interesting area that he's trying to carve out at this time, knowing that he's competing at Marvel against the Fantastic Four and the Avengers, who are both relatively popular at this point, who are very, you know, Fantastic Four is very science-y, Avengers is very beat up the mad villain, and he's kind of carving out his own reason for X-Men to get involved in things before they just get involved in things just for being mutants, which is what eventually will be the case. That's though no, definitely. Fair. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the thing also is that um, I think... I think is the the title is starting to get popular around at this time, yeah. right? And and I think you know he's he's trying to carve out a niche, and you know as it gets popular, and then maybe when it gets really popular, he's like, okay, I, I don't have to do this anymore, <laughs> so <laughs> it goes back to like you know the the more um, modern type of X Men. Well, I mean, yeah, as it develops, it becomes a little bit closer to. Um, modern pre-Hawkspots type of stories that we are very used to. So is it also like a back in that day time? I mean, you know, like a lot more environmental consciousness, like those kind of things that, you know, what you're doing to the world around you. Um, is there any kind of like, not necessarily hidden message, but, you know, subliminal message around that as well? Mm. Especially I mean, I don't know, in the 70s, it's topical, but I just think yeah. it's interesting because he went back to that well, like, right away again, where the X-Men are just so, they're really willing to step away, except ecological disaster. Yeah. 
And this, and you also establish a, a little bit of a timeline, right? They were six weeks in the open sea. And they spent about two to three weeks in salvage land. So that means they are, they is slightly more than two months after they were presumed dead. And, you know, you kind of have to wonder, why didn't Storm just fly off to some other country and, like, use the phone there or something? Well, she was keeping them alive at sea, right? You know, mm, so true. many, so that many typhoons true. were assaulting their boat. Uh, but, yes. you know, Claremont uses that time gap to do an interesting, maybe annoying thing here, is he decides that we don't have enough new characters it's not enough to have Sunfire. It's not enough to introduce Mariko. We're also going to have Misty Knight and Colleen Wing here, who he recently had to give up when his Iron Fist run with Byrne was canceled. Mm. But And what complicates this further is they're friends with Jean. And Jean, as you know, we didn't really cover this in the last episode, but Jean had yeah. just seen Misty at an airport as she went off on this vacation at some point when the X-Men had only been dead for, I guess, six weeks. And she's like, well, I've got to move on with my grief. So there's this whole kind of comedy of error happening where, like, Misty knows Jean is alive. And now Misty's finding out the X-Men are alive. But, like, I, you know, there's like a game of telephone yeah. going on where there's one misdetail here. This would never happen in real life. No. Because this would never happen in real life. So it's like, it's one of those, like, a movie moment. Like, you know, because we were like, you know, she's like, yeah, like, you know, give my regards to Scott. And then in real life, Jean would fall apart right there. And like, oh, Scott is dead. But, you know. So, yeah, but if, if Jean fall apart, you are going to break her apart. You'll be like, oh, she's so weak. Oh, she's just crying over a man. No, 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 no. That's not, the, it's not the same. It's not the same, though. Because that's a justifiable grief right but the yeah. thing is like this the ones that we were talking about is like he's a, he's okay you know like oh my god scott needs help no, he's okay calm down like you know so um no but the thing is like, that's what i'm saying like it's just like comedy of like you know it's like oh now mm. everyone knows but i thought that it was a from storytelling point of view it's kind of a fun because mm. it's like oh this one character knows something but the rest of them don't know and then they're just, the information is just there, but yeah. we're not talking about it. So, you know, it's fine. But what I was going to ask, though, why is Storm so sassy against Cyclops? Because over here, like, Cyclops is like, uh, he, she's like, Nightcrawler is waving, signaling all clear. Are you sure, Storm? If I weren't, I would have kept silent. <laughs> I, I, was, I was like... Okay, maybe because it's the constant trying to keep the typhoon yeah. away and everything is just getting to her because I was like, whoa, that's not Storm I know. I mean, I, I, I mean Storm would be more like, I think Storm is like, um, there is a silent um, duh at the end because it's like, why would I say this if I'm not sure? <laughs> like, duh. I so, know. I mean, I, I don't know. Like I, th I, I don't think it is not like not, I don't think, I think it is Storm being confident and like, you know, these simple things, don't question me. Mm. You know, it's, it's basically that. It's basically that, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, if I tell you, if I tell you I read this, I read it. Don't question me. Like, you know, why are you asking me again? <laughs> right. And I think it kind of like later puts on... me just a little bit differently, which is that, Claremont's trying to show that Storm is, like, unsentimental. Not that she's not emotional, but, like, she's not going to be like, oh, maybe our friends are signaling for help. She, she's like, no nonsense, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what I said is kind of the message. And I think it's him kind of zeroing in that Storm is not 
she there's very little superfluous about her. In the same in a similar way to Wolverine. You know, she like when he's like, you didn't ask about him talking to animals or speaking Japanese or any of these things. Yeah. This is kind of Storm's version of of why did you ask? Like I'll I'm telling you the right amount of information. You don't need to do a follow-up. And so yeah. it's almost like two sides of the coin coin that we're starting to see that Wolverine and Storm are kind of the sterner members, each in their own way, because of Storm, of course, is much nicer than Wolverine. But that's how I always re- read it. It's that Claremont's kind of establishing these are the two people who don't have extraneous things to say. And this uh, is the first time I think we establish Wolverine could read Japanese. Right. You didn't so ask. His, yeah, his yeah. Japanese, um, Japanese, um, like, you know, um, j- like Japanese roots start to come together right over here. So question to that is, do people know that he's immortal? Like, I mean, he, he cannot die. Do people know that yet? No, not I mean, we're yet. really early in them even knowing he has yeah. a healing factor. Factor. Oh, yeah. okay. So there's not a... Well, but, it, but the thing it, is... It was other... mentioned. It was mentioned. Just briefly, the issue before where the dinosaurs, like, yeah. you know, um, uh, bite his hand, that, that he said something like, oh, I heal really fast. That's, uh, that's okay. the point. So yes, there's right. no idea that he like lives forever and he can't die. Yeah. I mean, we're really early in this stuff. But yeah. one of the classic X-Men revisions to these two issues is he refer- refers to the time he was in Japan before in the actual issues. But classic mm-hmm. X-Men ma- revises that to one of the times he's been in Japan before. So oh. Claremont at this point didn't fully have it plotted out, even though he yeah. knew he had this time that he had been in Japan. And then, mm-hmm. you know, by the mid-80s, Claremont had this whole, you know, he's been around for a long time as saber yeah. his father, all of this other stuff. Um, no, but the thing is, like, he was also saying that you didn't ask. But the thing is, who asks someone, hey, do you speak Japanese? <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. That felt a little unfair. I'm like, okay, I mean, yeah. you know. This but like, kind of funny, considering <laughs> that Sunspot was, like, on the team before, and it just, like, n- never came Sunfire. up that Wolverine, or, yeah, Sunspire, you know, it never came up that Wolverine could have been speaking Japanese to him. I, guess, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but- Faria, do you speak Mandarin? <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, if, if I suddenly start, like, you know, showing things and like, oh, why did we didn't know that you never asked before. It's like, yeah, yeah, the same way, you know, the one time Tyler just busted onto us that how he was in the army. Yeah, but <laughs> why would we even ask Tyler? Tyler, was you, were you ever in army? <laughs> Well, theoretically, on a superhero team, you would think, you know, I mean, now we're getting into the kind of nerd stuff that I personally try to avoid of, like, trying to impose the real world in the comic book, but it's fun sometimes. You would think that if you had a new X-Men, there would be, like, an intake form of, like, let's figure out what your useful (laughs) skills are. You know, like, do you speak any other languages? What (laughs) weapons are you proficient with? You know, are there any militias around the world who are hoping for your death? Yeah. Like, you know, fill, fill us in on a couple of these yeah. things. Just, I mean, if you were starting a superhero team and recruiting, wouldn't you have some kind of intake questionnaire yeah. survey? Give, give give each of them a D&D character sheet where they fill in language spoken and <laughs> skills. Maybe this will trigger it. I mean, now definitely. Avengers should definitely do it. But, you know, for X-Men, they're they're kind of like take all mutants. Yeah, it's a little bit different. more laissez-faire in X-Men yeah. than Avengers. You don't get but the anyway, vibe to do the Avengers. Yeah, I was, I was just kind of like, okay, like, whoa, dude. <laughs> like, you didn't ask me. Yeah, because that's a weird question to ask. <laughs> Weirdly specific, but yeah. Well, there's but one the other- Oh, go ahead, Tyler. No, I was just going to say that the other thing is that, like, um, 
uh, Nightcrawler's power is like greatly expanded here. Like he could, like one jump, jump from the ship to to the dark. Like you know, and he he himself mentioned that oh, I'm not even uh, tired or anything. Ooh. Yeah, because Claremont is realizing that just like combat range teleportation is just not actually all that interesting to yes. write about. So there's a really big sequence here that to intercuts two important things one ultimately more important than the other wolverine meets mariko who goes on to be one of the main great loves of wolverine's life and it's Mm -hmm. i always think it's easy to almost ascribe that he knew her before in some way because Mm -hmm. it just is so epic but like no it's all part of claremont and then the other thing is as he's you know meeting and instinctively protecting mariko you know there's this huge siege of these armored mandroids on the compound where they're staying and the team has to briefly fight them and um fights them in a really visually satisfying way that and you know it's nice because the x-men hasn't really had to um deal with that much fodder up to this point they're always fighting the main villain or like the people who's going to kidnap them or something so we don't get to see them do anything very successfully and that is one of the themes where we keep coming back to why can't they work together because claremont hasn't had them fight anything where it makes sense for them to win the fight quite honestly Mm -hmm. so it's kind of really satisfying that we see that little bit of tenderness from Wolverine at first and then it's intercut with the team actually being competent. I mean, you get this great thing of um, them trying to hit Colossus with a truck and Colossus just reaching up from underneath and flipping the whole, you know, stopping the truck or flipping the whole truck over. Uh, I just think it's really a fun, satisfying sequence. I don't know. What did you think about this big action sequence here, you two? I loved that Colossus thing. Like, I love, because I really love it when uh, superheroes like, you know, even despite having all this superpower, but it's smart about how they use it. Mm-hmm. Um, the same way, you know, how um, Nightcrawler took the took Magneto's he- head, uh, head helmet. off, not helmet off. <laughs> uh, so it's, <laughs> it's kind of like, I, I think like I really like this moment where it's like um, a lot of fight things going on and it is a lot of sensory or emo- like, you know, information overload. But it, when you kind of stop to kind of look at it, it's like everyone is kind of fighting individually and... Cleverly. Yeah, I mean the the fact that um, Colossus get uh, knocked out of the way uh, twice in this arc uh, is gonna come back to play at a later stage um, very fast. But um, yeah, I mean I, I I mean they are they are fighting better, they are fighting smarter, and uh, in some ways they are working together um, on the fly. Well, in this issue on the fly, in the next issue plan. So I thought this is um, this this was really well done. Well, let's roll into that next issue. You know, now the enemy has exposed himself. Magnus Moses Magnum, he's holding all of Japan hostages. The X Men want to do something about it, and so they have to break into his volcano island base is this it's just such a trope it makes me think of the incredibles where there's the volcano base because it's like everybody's got it everybody gets a volcano base magneto's in a volcano base then garak was in a volcano base then the beast people that nightcrawler fought and the backup were in a volcano base base. everybody gets a volcano base so he's got a volcano base on i mean it's can it works because they're a volcanic island you know um island atolls or whatever on the outskirts of japan but the team has to figure out how to break in and they can't just use pure force with a frontal mm-hmm. assault because he will just detonate Japan, you know, if if that's the case. So they have to decide how are they going to get in. And what's interesting about this issue is that it's pretty much a full issue 
tactical invasion. And you could almost yeah. contrast it with what the X-Men went through in issues 94 and 95, where they have to invade um, the Norad Mountain to get to Count Nefaria, and they just fail repeatedly at it. You know, <laughs> here is Claremont showing us that the team has grown and, and has changed and that they can attack on three fronts, right? We have Nightcrawler kind of stealthily attacking. We have Storm and Banshee, you know, baffling the radars and things. And then we have the more physical members of the team tunneling in to the base. So Freya, what did you think about this one? Um, Banshee gets to shine a little bit better than mm -hmm. everyone else because I feel like every, like the pattern is coming to emerge that every story, there's like one person that's like kind of saves yeah, the star. them or the star of it. Uh, so finally it was Banshee's turn. So, you know, and it's, it's, it's very interesting though, because, you know, we talked about it before where it's like uh, something happens and then the X-Men just kind of goes into it and they're like, oh, we couldn't deal with it. And then they plan and then they come back. But we are seeing the difference that last time it kind of worked, even when they were head first went to it, they were a little bit more, um, more tactical and more, um, interesting in their fight style. Now they have planned it and it's better than what we have seen before planned fights. Like so it's like mm. they're getting better and better. And then I think whether it's in this one or someone else said that they actually were being practicing the whole six weeks they were in the ship in the ship. Yeah. So was, they're just on the deck of the ship like Yeah. <laughs> like you know that, and that, then I'm pretty sure the, the addition, the classic addition that oh, the, the, so the epilogue. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Last, um, in the one seventeen. So that would be classic X Men uh, twenty three, where they have another epilogue of one page of the X Men. Ah, uh, okay, but yeah. so the thing is, like you know, it kind of also makes sense, and I'm pretty sure all the um, all the ship people were probably like, like you know, <laughs> the hell, like what are they doing, <laughs> doofy like nerds. Uh, but yeah, so I think like you know, from all of that point of view, it was kind of forgettable but if you kind of look into that the progression of the story or the all the things that's happening it's kind of mm -hmm. like a good addition yeah. The thing that it always makes me think is like that their powers have secondary effects. I think very much till now it's been treated as very like what can we do to shoot this power directly at the bad guy. But this is a time that Banshee is like, I actually can cut off his means of communication to everybody. You know, mm -hmm. it goes to Storm, we're going to see shortly, is going to start using fog to obfuscate things. Like, instead of just going lightning bolt, lightning bolt, flood, flood. And so it's just really interesting. It's the same thing with you and Nightcrawler with the Magneto's helmet. Like, sometimes the most interesting thing they can do with their power is not punch somebody. And I think that, you know, this is a time that we saw Banshee really realize he doesn't always just have to fly around and scream at people, that his power is actually useful in a completely different way. And it almost kills yeah. him to do it because he's, you know, he is the red, she's the incompetent red shirt of the X-Men and he can't ever be effective <laughs> without pretty much dying. Uh, but it was, it was very sad though, like towards the epilogue, it's like, oh, they were not here. I got discharged. But then, you know, then it turned out they were all waiting for him at home. So, you know, so it, was, it, it, was, it was nice. But the thing is like, uh, we also saw, uh, I think it was in the previous one, that why they can't communicate with, Professor X, because Professor X kind of went, so long, people, and then <laughs> left Earth, you know. Yeah, he's so responsible that he's like, I better turn off all the phone numbers to the mansion. We don't want right. to be draining the Xavier coffers with yeah. paying that monthly local phone bill. You know. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then this would have been an international call back in the day. That would have been a yeah, lot what of they money, you know. A lot, oh, a lot of yeah. money. Oh, oof. Like, you know. Well, um, I mean, Sunfire is rich, so <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> 
yeah but uh but the thing is like you know i mean i was just kind of uh, like thinking of that you know in context with what we talked about before that what mm-hmm. moira thinks about this i'm like oh he's slowing down even more <laughs> Like, you know, had some idea that's like, ah, and then it's like, I'm like, whoa, that's not good. But yeah. So there's two other small elements here, um, maybe three. So one is that Wolverine, after this is all resolved and they're having their kind of goodbye party, really wants to go and speak to Mariko alone. Yeah. Uh, which is funny because Claremont has just been inserting a bunch of him pining for Jean. Like, yeah. but yes. then, but this is also the beginning of his fascination with Mariko, which to Mariko. me, I think just extends my dislike of Wolverine. Like, of course you want to <laughs> chase both of them. Right. So there's of that. Course. There's Jean who's now been through her holiday vacation, which we'll get to mm-hmm. in the classic issue that we're not yeah. talking about this. And then she's visiting Muir Island. Cause at least she can see people that she knows like mm-hmm. Lorna and Alex there. Yeah. And then we also get this really nice moment of, um, Storm telling Nightcrawler that she loves him very much in a very sisterly kind of way. And you get the sense that she says a similar thing to Colossus. Again, as um, Claremont is trying to make clear, she's no nonsense and she's nobody's side piece Smurfette girlfriend. She's the main character of this run. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But the thing is, like, uh, even though uh, Storm is saying it as a as a sisterly way, if you look at uh, Nightcrawler, oh yeah, he's not taking different... it in a brotherly way. He, no, yeah, he's 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 thinking something different. You know, see, mm. I'm not noticing backgrounds. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, face I was like, there. I mean, it's terrifying. The face he's making there is absolutely terrifying. <laughs> I can't. It's like. <laughs> like hold on, hold on. <laughs> Even though she moves on from it, and to be honest, though, it was a little bit too close because I was like, "Yeah, hey, whoa, 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 what's going on?" You know. But then, but he's still like gripping on, his cheek. Yeah, like, you know, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> Nightcrawler is getting some ideas. First, he you know saved that girl. Now he's like all about like it is the store. But yeah, so uh, at the ending. What about that? The last, last page. Wow. I'm excited about that. What did What's you think happening? about that? What What's happening? Think? What's, What's going happening? on? What I happened to the, to the awful, awful Angus? Um, I may know what happened. So I'm just, mm. I'm not going to say it. But it's a Take character a that's, it's a character that's there, you. right? We won't tell you. Just, just guess. We won't tell you if it's right or wrong. Okay. Is it Proteus? Mm. I just think it's important that the guy who is racist to the X-Men about renting a boat gets taken out. I think that's yeah. what's, <laughs> that's what's important here. We really need no. to appreciate his name is Angus Mc, Mc, McWhorter, McWhorter, yeah. and he once rented the X-Men a hovercraft. <laughs> and one of the most important captions in the history Yeah, of that's the most important caption. Yeah, no, I mean, that's the thing. It's a moral and Christmas Day. A life ends and a nightmare is born. So So the question also is, like, to just basically, you know, take in the fact that is there, do you think there's a reason why Moira wanted Jean to be there? Well, we promised no House of X spoilers in this episode. So Mm. unfortunately, we'll have to save that for some time. I don't yeah. know. I don't know about that. Mm. We told them yeah. that's safe. Yeah. And also, yeah, why yeah, would safe. Xavier want to go to space at this point? Another exactly. wonderful question. Uh, 
And like so, how fast, how how fast can you Okay, so now I understand how how you can always gain Wolverine's trust. Just be, you know, a girl that he's Be a lady interested. and turn your back to him one time yeah. and then he gets <laughs> because, because in, in, immediately after meeting Mariko, he's he was gonna give her give uh, tell her his real name, which at this point I think none of the X-Men know. Except the leprechauns. Did, did oh didn't didn't get that questionnaire signed, you know. Yeah. Write your name, Logan. <laughs> Logan Canadian. Um but yeah, I was like so, I was like so close. But he also kinda says like, oh I'm not American. I'm yeah, he's like, I'm not American. I'm like, yeah, Canada Pride. <laughs> <laughs> there are only means. a few revisions to this issue in classic mm-hmm. X-Men. It gives a very slightly different spin on Moses Magnum's powers, which really ultimately doesn't matter too much. Yeah. And also it gives an extra scene in the hospital at the end as they all welcome Banshee, you know, from his convalescence, hinting at this flirtation between Scott and Colleen. And this is really, <sighs> people get really hung up on this because... How, how to even say this? Like, he thinks Gene is dead for six weeks. Gene thinks yeah. he's dead for six, weeks, for six weeks. And they're just moving on. Everybody's moving on. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, and also the fact that Colleen basically dressed up and put up, put on makeup just to <laughs> go meet. Well, I mean, okay, question. Colleen knows that Gene is not dead, right? Theoretically... Because because Misty, Misty yeah. just saw her should alive, I... you would have thought on their travels to Japan, Misty would have been like, "Oh, I just ran into my roommate. Jean. My roommate She's gone right? on vacation." No, but, it, so but I, no, yeah. she hold on, hold on. She actually knows because there was a thing over here where it's like, "Oh, that's Scott. Oh, so sad that he's not single." So she definitely knows. So what but is she's she just doing not gonna say here? anything. Yeah, uh, I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. <laughs> it's 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 seventies. Everyone's horny, and you so know, so if, that part the, is. That part is like pushed out. It's not. It's not canon now. Yeah, it's not canon. <laughs> it's just it goes. This us. is why I've never liked Cyclops and Wolverine. People are like, you sure do hold a grudge. I'm like, that's because they're both written as dirtbags from the very beginning of their comic book <laughs> lifetimes. So um, I do so like Sasquops though, but you know, we'll get to it at some point. We'll get there. So look, there are classic X-Men issues that go along with this. We've mentioned the revisions and classic X-Men 24 and 25. The issue the Story in 25 explicitly takes place a little bit later, so we'll tackle mm. it in an upcoming episode. But the real interesting thing here about this is classic-ish X-Men 24. We're not going to talk about this story. It does fit in here. Jean was yeah. briefly on a vacation, which happens off-panel in the original issues. Um, she even mentions that she just had a little her time. And yeah. this shows the vacation, but in such a way that is so explicit in how yeah. it connects to the Dark Phoenix saga that to read it now and to have that foreknowledge for 12 issues just doesn't make any sense. And I'm usually the one who's like, read the things where they work in continuity. Correct. But this particular story, I think, just wrecks your Spoils reading of Gene for the next yep. year. It just messes everything up. Correct. So our Tyler and I spoke about it, and we yep. agreed that you shouldn't read it now. Yeah, you shouldn't read it now. And I followed their advice. I didn't read it. Okay. So we're going to be talking about it soon enough, but not now. Not now. Very soon. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, the X-Men are going to continue their world tour as they try to get back to America. And in the next episode, we are going to be talking about Uncanny X-Men 120 and 121. And we're going to be talking about classic X-Men backup stories from issues 25 and 26. So we hope you're going to continue your epic X-Men reread with us. Even as some of these stories are a little bit marginal, it's fun to talk about them with friends because you get to pull out all of these other details, which is just one more reason that what for you? X-Men is better when it's read together. That's right. And so I'm so happy I get to do this my third or fourth or fifth reread of these issues <laughs> along with Tyler and Faria and along with all of you. So thank you so much for listening to another episode of our classic X-Men epic reread. And we'll be back next time for some chaos in Canada where we meet a little bit more of Alpha Flight. So that will be fun. Until then, we hope that you are well. Bye.